Basically, that documentary became my own therapy. She said he's gone. Still such a weird thing that people don't want to talk about, but yet is the biggest killer in men our age. Roman Camp is truly remarkable and deeply inspiring. It's all about creating tools, you know, in our brain to learn how to deal with these issues. Your brain becomes Mike Tyson and is just beating you up and you've not had one boxing lesson in your life. So you just can't do anything. You're just taking it. If you had told me 10 years ago that would be my job and that's what people know me for, I would honestly would not even know where that would have even started. I'm, I'm pleased that I've got a good core friend group around me. I'm glad that I've got my parents around me. I'm glad that I've gone out there and I've taught myself the tools that I need to go and fight Mike Tyson in there and, and be able to go up against him. And that's why I feel passionate to be able to go and do that for, for kids now. Without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Roman. Hello. What were you like as a kid? Tell me. As a kid, I was, I'd say, verging on... Um, verging on attention seeker and yet always just performing, I guess. I loved uh, mimicking and like, and, and doing Im- impressions and things like that. Like when, when I first realized that I could do impressions, I would do them nonstop and I would, I would go home. I'd watch my teachers and I'd say to my parents, oh, this is what my teacher did today. And I wouldn't just say what they said. I would perform it for them, how they did it. So I think I was very much so like high energy, kid i would say verging on an an adhd (laughs) kind of assumption but um it was definitely a a big change kind of when i went through my teenage years brothers and sisters older sister 32 very different from you yeah but to be honest like she yeah she is to be honest She, she she kind of she's someone that her name's harley harley moon one word, very pretentious parents, basically. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. I think my parents were, must have been slightly intoxicated after <laughs> after the birth. And it was a full moon. So they named her Harley Moon. But kids with Harley Moon and Roman at that time were a little bit strange. Mm. So yeah, just no greater meaning other than the very pretentious parents. But um, yeah, she she's, she's, an amazing kind of person. I, I I got my work ethic from her. From your sister? From my sister. Yeah. My my mum and my dad are are really supportive and and they're always like, you know, there in terms of like anything I do is great. Mm. They love it. Like couldn't ask for better parents. But Harley was the first person I knew that she went out at 15 and was straight away, 14, whatever it was, was like, I need to get a Saturday job straight away. I, like she was the one doing it. Like she wanted to do it. She was asking my parents, when can she go and do it? And I used to be quite, there's part of me that was a bit jealous of that hmm. because she kind of had this like maturity quite early on where she was making money and she went out there and she became a, a portraits photographer and then a big celebrity portraits photographer and was being hugely successful. So she was that person that I was like, I need to keep up, hmm. basically. When you say I need to keep up, basically, a lot of the stuff that I read about you mm-hmm. and your relationship with your dad in particular, mm-hmm. um, there was some, it felt like from reading what I read that there was some issues with you feeling, um, I guess not good enough because of his, because of 
the fact that he'd been so successful in his career as Martin yeah. Kemp. Is that accurate? Um, no, yes and no. Because, it, it, um, uh, to be honest, uh, I'm so, again, I'm, I'm so lucky because the parents that I have are so supportive of what I want to do. And it's the same way, however they've parented me is the same way I want to be with my children. You know, I'm mm. a massive family person. I believe that everything I'm doing now is for is for my family and to create better people. Mm. Um, but I think with my dad and my mum in that, in that respect, you know, my mum was part of the first group uh, to ever um, perform in Asia. Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of Wham and Pepsi and Shirley was insane. You know, my dad part of Spandau and acting career and all these types of things. I'm insanely proud of that. Mm. So for me to then say I'm not good enough for it mm. or could never better it puts a downer on those things, mm. I think. So I put it kind of in separate boxes. I'm not trying to emulate them mm. because in my head, they will always be mm. my heroes. I sat here with um, Eddie Hearn and a yeah. lot of other people like Umar from, from he runs prettylittlething.com and his yeah. dad obviously runs boohoo.com, which yeah. is you know, the founders. And that they they often spoke to that feeling of when you've got successful parents, it can feel like a, there can be thoughts that creep in that make you think, um, often illogically, especially in the case of all those individuals I've described, mm. that you've got, you've got like a, you know, a mountain to, to emulate or there's, you know, there's pressure. that Yeah, but that's, that's society. Like, like I, I always use this as an example. It's like, you know, you look at, um, you look at uh, any, any famous kid, Mm. like that there is me myself being a, an offspring of someone who is famous, two people that are famous. I will still look at, you know, Brooklyn Beckham and see him getting a scholarship for a photography thing and go, ah, oh, I bet he's got that because of his dad. Mm. And I'll catch myself doing that. Mm. And then, but that's a normal thing to feel. That's a normal thing to feel. I'm sure he hasn't. I'm sure he's got great mm. talents, but I, I fully understand why people would look at me and go, oh, he's got to where he is because of his dad. Let me tell you at the beginning, I asked my dad, hook me up. Like help me out, and he couldn't. Like yeah. genuinely, like, like because of what I wanted to do was different. Mm. But I would say with with my dad, it, it's never it's never the pressure, and with my mum, it's never the pressure of how well you're doing and like you know tick this off, tick this off. Look what I've done. You've mm. got to do this, 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 this. It's not that. The hardest thing with my old man and my mum, for that matter, is the public perception of them is how it is which is they are so nice mm. and like there are these amazing people mm. i always feel like for for me and my sister there's more of a pressure for me to be able to have a good relationship and a wife that that in the way that my dad has that for me is more of a pressure than mm. anything to do with work the relationship that they have weighs massively on me because i don't want to ever go through a divorce i don't want to ever you know go through problems because they never did mm. so when people ask me that question I, i'd rather like I'd, I'd do anything to have their relationship over their career. Yeah, yeah. When you were that age, say like 14, 15, when you were mm. thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up, what was your aspirations at that point? Um, I kind of, I signed a record, I signed a, a, a record deal uh, at 15, um, which came through in such a weird way. Like, like it was like, meeting people and someone saying, oh, would you, would you want to try and do, would you want to try and do songwriting? And I had an interest in it. And I worked with a few people, worked in management companies as a Saturday job. And then they were like, yeah, cool, let's do it. And I signed a development deal with Universal Music, which basically means you're the label's bitch, right? Where you'll be 
a part of any project that they want you to be a part of. So they they basically own any output that you have. And what you so get you can that? do. Oh, well, I mean, you you got paid at, at fifteen. It was okay. I mean, and look at, at the same time, I was being able to sit in meetings with people who are now heads of labels and and you wow. know meet all these people and kind of grasp an understanding. It's definitely helped with me now mm. having you know interviewed so many artists in terms of what they're going through because I've I've witnessed some form of that. Mm. And I did that for three years, about three years from when I was 15 to, to 18. Hey, listen, when I, when I signed up, I signed a deal at 15 and then I went in to do my GCSEs. No wonder I did bad on my GCSEs. I could care less. I, I literally, I walked into some of my GCSEs. I walked in the room, signed my name and walked out. <laughs> I got you in maths because <laughs> wow. I signed my name. Wow. Like, like it, it, I was distracted at that age. And I kind of guess I knew, I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew that world was normal to me. Mm. And, and like the music world was normal to me. The film world was normal to me because I've grown up in it. Mm. And I guess that's why I wanted to do it. It's never been anything to do with fame mm. in our house. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. the, the idea of what you want to do when you're older was never attached to, oh, well, I'll be really famous if I do that. Yeah. What was your first sort of pr- real, real job then? Real job. Uh, radio I, yeah. So no. So I, I basically, I, I did, I did um, Universal for a while and, and worked, you know, in a bands and in bands and projects or whatever, right? And I then reached a point where that all ended like really abruptly, partly because I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And it was a lot, I felt like it was a lot to take in. And I remember just sitting with my mom and just like, I was like, it must've been 18 and I was just crying. And I was just like, I, I just, I can't be a part of this. Like, this is too much. Like the, the expectation on, young kids in the music industry is, is a lot. What was, what was the, well, it's like, it's, it's a lot. You're putting in your own emotional being into, you know, music or into, you know, this, this kind of like thing, I guess it, the only way I can describe it is how, you know, kids must feel if they're young footballers and they're trying to make it and they get cut from teams. It's a lot of emotion going up and down and up and down. You know, you win at one point and then the loss is so hard. And when you're going through puberty, imagine that at the same time, you don't know how to handle that. And what were they trying to make you into, a songwriter? No, so I was I was part of bands, mostly. Bands, okay, so they're putting yeah, you yeah, in yeah. bands. Yeah, 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 so they put me in bands. Like sure. I was, you know, bass playing. Or, or it was like, oh, would you want to write a song for other people? Do you want to do this, this and that? And don't get me wrong, it was an amazing experience and one that I would still do now, 100%. I think that, again, it's, it's everything that I've done obviously makes me the person that I am now and gives me the ability to do what I do now. Um... And uh, I, I just, at that point had just reached a moment where I was like, I can't do it anymore. So, and then I said to my mom, I was like, I was like, I need to do something that is nowhere near media. And I'm just going to go and get a regular job every day. And I ended up getting a job, basically just cleaning toilets and cleaning equipment in a gym near me. And I did that for about a year and a half. And it was horrible. <laughs> Fucking hell. A year and a half, is it? Okay. It was, it so was, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. I went out there. I did, I got all the, what was it? PT qualifications and all that type of stuff so that I could work in a, in a gym. But literally it's just glorified toilet cleaner, essentially. Like I was just cleaning, cleaning running machines for about a year and a half. And then during that time, I kind of realized that my creative side was like really struggling in terms of like, I couldn't, I've always wanted to create and, and do stuff. 
So I I knew how to like edit um, film and I knew how to film as well. And so with my money from working at the gym, I went out, bought a DSLR, started filming stuff and filming for friends and like rappers and <laughs> like grime music videos and things like that just to make some extra cash. And then at the same time, like on the weekends, I'd just make my own stuff like, and I'd put it on YouTube and I'd just have fun with it. Mm. You know, I knew that world was a world because I was, I'd come from a school where I sat next, my classmate was KSI. Yeah. Do you know what? But that in that moment, you're like, so I know that's possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's so important for so many people when they know it's possible. And that's the problem with, you know, sometimes that's where I think people get stuck in, worst case, worst case to say is a class system mm-hmm. because they don't know hmm. what you can do and what your potential could go to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd seen JJ do it. I'd see Simon do it and all those types of kids. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is an amazing thing that they're doing. I'll give it a go. And, uh, and from there, all of a sudden, it just kind of turned into this presenter role, I guess. Did you ever have an intention of doing presenting? No, God, no. no. Absolutely not. I would have been very happy just doing camera. Genuinely. I, I love, like, I've always, I, still to this day, I, I will stand by, by the time I'm 60, I want to have at least uh, directed one feature film. Wow. 100%. Great. You'll do it, 100%. No, I, I know I'll do it, it yeah, because yeah. I'll make it happen. I don't yeah, care how low yeah. budget it is, but yeah. I will do it. <laughs> so how, how so t- tell me about your first proper presenting gig then and yeah. how that came about. There was a football company called Football Daily. Oh, I know them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so this was right at the start of yeah. when they started out and uh, there were just a group of lads that were just pushing out content. And I just had this idea for a, for a video that was based on uh, fo- like a football pickup line video. And it was just silly. And they were like, well, could you just go out and film it for us? And I was like, yeah, fine. And then they were like, actually, do you want, do you want to, do you want to just be in it and do it? If, if that would be, cause it was cheaper and quicker. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, look, I'll just go out and do it. And then from that, they then started asking me to go on to like chat about football. I mean, football is something that's so massive in, in terms of my life. That I'm an Arsenal fan. Well, I'm sorry about that. But how are you? Man United. Oh, Man United. Where well, you from London? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't hear a Mancunian accent, so that's true, Man United. Um, no, so, but you know, it's it's like, I, I started doing like silly kind of prank videos that then turned into chatting, but it kind of all merged into one. I, I ended up getting gigs with Channel 4, MTV, Capital were asking me to do like outside broadcasty bits, basically just like for the breakfast show, they'll go, let's cross over to Roman who's at Wimbledon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those are so important. Those yeah. are every, like, you know, with presenting is, is, is air miles is you, you've got to do it. Like, and, and you've got to do all of those jobs because they throw different challenges to you every time, you know, and, and they will come back and, and you'll look back and you'll go, I'm so pleased I did that really shit job mm. because I know what I got out of it. You know, there is no, there's, there's never a thing as a bad job ever because you will always get one thing out of it whether that just solely be i've done jobs that i never want to talk about ever again in my life like in terms of like how bad they were but i learned that from them so mm. the next time I, I come to that point and i go hang on this is one of them yeah so therefore it was a good job to take i'm not making that mistake later at that time in your life did you did you at that point have an idea of what you wanted to do in the future when you were doing the football daily stuff and 
Uh, I, I, if I'm honest, I, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to be football presenting because that's what I loved. And I was enjoying myself. Mm. I was, I was happy. Uh, and I was at a point where I feel like oh, I'm getting paid to do something that I don't feel like I should be paid for, mm. you know? And, and I think that's, that's always been my focus. Always. It always has been, am I happy doing it? Yes. Okay. We'll keep on doing it. And I think that that's the most important with anyone. It, my mum actually, again, it was a conversation with my mum that, that she said to me, she was like, what is it that you want to do? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I had so many things. I was like, should I, should I try and be an actor? Because that's what my dad did. Or should I try and do music? Because that's what my mum and dad do. Should I stay there? And then she was like, no, 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 but forget about that. What do you like love doing? Like what, what makes you happy? And I was just like, I don't know. I'm just chatting about football with my mates. She was like, well, why can't you chat about football and make that your job? And I was like, well, I don't know anyone in that. And she goes, well, why can't you just make your own stuff and show people that you can do it? Fucking hell, I wish I had a mum like yours. Mate, honestly, <laughs> like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, but these conversations are real conversations that, that she had with me. She was literally saying, well, you just have to show people that you can do that. And I was like, well, how am I going to, well, I can't just walk into Sky Sports. She was like, why not? My mum really kind of, again, my dad, my dad is too nice. He's too good of a cheerleader. Anything I want, if I said, if I said, um, you know, when I was working at the gym or anything like that, if I said, Oh, I had to clean this treadmill today. And I see, he goes, yeah, but I saw it and it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. He's, but that's what I mean. He's, you know, the, 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 the best parents, I couldn't have lucked out more. You know, if, if, if we are living in a matrix world where you select your pod of who your parents are, <laughs> I have done so well. Um, but yeah, my mum was the person that was really like, you know, what, what is it you love? And, and I said that, and she was like, you know, create your job, you know, make it. And, and I, and I did. And, you know, she's, my mom's very spiritual in terms of manifesting and, and I, listen, I'm more a coincidence person, but, um, yeah, she, I, I think my mom always, my mom always says this, this one thing to me, which I will have forever and I will always teach to my kids. And I think, you know, going back to what you were saying about that pressure of having parents that do what I do, uh, you know, and, and we're all part of the same world, having famous parents the one word that people will constantly say to you is that you're lucky. Hmm. Constant. Yeah. He will constantly say to you, oh yeah, but you got lucky because you got this or you got lucky because your parents hmm. did this. And, and I always used to say to my mum, I was like, I've just done this really cool thing. And all people say to me is, oh yeah, but you got lucky. And it's like, <clears throat> so my mum used to say to me, she was like, she was like, yeah, but break that down and, you know, break down what, what luck actually is. And she was the first person to say that phrase to me where she said, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And it's so right. You know, I, I prepared myself in terms of, I, I went out and I did the mileage. I did all the rubbish jobs. I learned about football, you know, all those types of things. I, I spent those hours, you know, wanting to be the best I could be at it. And then it just so happened that an opportunity in life arose where I could show that skill set. And from now on, that's all I ever look at luck as. You know, and so when people say that I was lucky on something, I was like, yeah, but I prepared to be in that situation. And it was fate that the opportunity was there. A hundred percent. I mean, I even get that now. People will say to me that I got, got lucky. And it, I always cite one, one particular example, which was when I, I, when I was 18, broke kid up in Manchester in Mossside. See, yeah. Manchester. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> up in Manchester. And I was living in Mossside and I sent an email at 3am in the morning 
to the first person that came up on LinkedIn asking if they'd invest in my business. And I was asking them for five grand. They replied within a couple of hours and said they would if I, if I assembled a team. And I was super lucky. The first person I emailed gave me five grand. I was up at 3 a.m. in the fucking That's what morning. I mean. That's what like, I mean, yeah. I show the email on stage where I remove the times, the, the little thing blocking the timestamp. Yeah. And I go, you can call it luck, but I know where you were at 3 a.m. on that Saturday morning. Yeah. And so again, but you created that opportunity, and that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like that that opportunity just was there, yeah. and you had to have all the back knowledge to be able to do to, to provide it. If you just went to someone and said, "Oh, I want that," mm. and then they were like, "Well, what, what have you got to show for it?" and you had nothing, mm. they wouldn't have done it. And another another example that, that I actually learned actually from it's when someone was interviewing me the other day. If I got a dice and I rolled it a thousand times, yeah. eventually I'm going to get like. Te- if a coin, let's say, eventually I'm going to get heads 10 times in a row yeah. just because I flip it a thousand times. Course, yeah. If I flip it a hundred times, it might not happen. But again, it's like increasing the opportunity because of the amount of just flips. If if I had prepared in my life to do a different type of job, I'm sure there are so many opportunities that I've missed in this yeah. life that I'm living that yeah. would have been better for a different life. Yeah, that's basically how, how there's constant opportunities, especially yeah. when, you know, that's why we're so fortunate to live in a place like you know, we live in mm. London. Like, mm. well, I live in London. Like, you know, I mean, I'm so fortunate to be able to be here mm. and, and you know, not be in some, you know, shit part town. Mm. That's why it always, that's why, that's, to be honest, that's why I always love, uh, you know, I really like, I really like, you know, the kind of grime scene and the the, the, the rap scene in, in the UK and all of that type of stuff because these kids have come up from shit, like bad areas mm. with no, so low opportunities mm. and, and they've made something of it, you mm. know, which is great. So when did, when did you get the call from Capital and how did that happen? So I had, I had a call from them that was like, um, yeah, can you come and do, um, uh, this was whilst I was doing, I must've been doing football daily stuff. I was doing stuff for like four music, like just little hosting bits online. And then someone called me and they said, um, oh, will you come and uh, do a demo? Like come in and just do like a, a quick, let's hear how your voice sounds. So I was like, yeah, 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 come in. Did that, thought nothing of it. Didn't really hear back. Then a few weeks later, will you do some outside broadcasting bits where I remember I had to go to Wimbledon and chat to people just in the queue. Rubbish. Like, do you know what I mean? R- rubbish stuff. But all air miles, you know, all stuff that, that to this day, I, I still know exactly what they taught me in, my first demo. And after that, it kind of went to a point where I, they offered me a show that was like, they were like, yeah, you can do like bit, bit roll shows. So like 1am to 4am on a weekend, every two weekends. Okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And yeah. you're like, and, and you know, a lot of people are like, you know, all my mates again, were like, well, graveyard shift. But I was like, yeah, but I'm gonna well to be honest I yeah well that one that it was so great because it because it was in the middle of the night I could make any mistake I wanted no boss is listening so no one cares right I could learn I learned you know all the buttons and all those types of things I don't know now like I know radio presenters now that are like what do you mean you do the buttons like, yeah <laughs> yeah it's more fun like you know what I mean so it's it, it, it was again, it was that moment where I had to learn and I knew that and I wanted to learn the craft as much as possible. Mm. And with radio, I kind of just accidentally fell in love with it. If you had told me 10 years ago that I was hosting radio and that would be my job and that's what people know me for, I would honestly would not even know where that would have even started. Crazy that. Which is odd. And it's hard because I get, you get a lot of, radio is a very, you know, as I say, it's a, 
clicky place because a lot of people went to student radio and like, you know what I mean? Like those types of things. And I didn't take that natural path. Mm. I, I, to be totally honest with you, I said to myself, I was like, right, I'm on Capital now. This was when I was 22. Yeah, when I was 20, well, 20, yeah, 21, 22. And I said to myself, I was like, right, I'm doing 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. every couple of weekends now. Within, well, in 10 years, I want to be doing the breakfast show. Mm. And I did it in three, two and a half, three. And like that for me is still like the best, you know, achievement that I can name for myself. Why do you think, why do you think you did so well on radio? Because I kept pushing and I kept, I kept like, I always like, I speak to, you know, younger radio presenters now or even presenters that are there. And I always say, what show are you doing? All this type of stuff. And then they'll be worried to say what, and I'll say to them, what show do you want to do? And they won't want to say it because there's someone else there, but it's like, well, if you don't, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, like I was there every single day. I know every, every other week I was knocking on the, the boss's door saying, I'm better than that person. I, I, I can make it better. I can do this better. I can this better. You got to do it. No one's, no one, no one owes you something. Do you know what I mean? That, no one owes you that opportunity to have a better show or a better TV show or whatever. Mm. You know, if I go to a, a commissioner at a TV channel, I sure as hell have to go in there with a better idea than what they've currently got. Otherwise, mm. what's the point in being there? I'll just sit there and go, oh, can you please give me a show? No. Like, I've got to prove that. I've got to show why. And and that's all I did on 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 Capital. It was literally like, I remember they gave me, they they said to me there was like, there wasn't any show slots going. And I was like, what have you got? And they were like, Saturday, five till eight, which was a horrendous show slot because 5 p.m. till 8 p.m., which is like, everyone knows that is dog territory. How come? Like, just because it's just low ratings. Right. People are getting ready out. to go out. Right. Do you know what I mean? On a Saturday night, no one's really listening to the radio, those types of things. Not, it's not quite 8 p.m. where you're going to get in, doing pre-drinks and those types of things. So it's just low ratings statistically. And I was like, I don't care. Give me the show. I was like, I was like, give me the show. And then we took that and uh, me and, and, Joe, my producer, when we, we turned, we get, we gave it the, the highest, the highest ratings within that slot that there's ever been for one. And it did some record in terms of weekend numbers ever on Capital. Why? Because we changed it. We, we, before Capital was always, um, constant, happy, 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 as quickly as you can in between the song, say as little as possible, move on, move on, move on, move on. I wanted to create a show where I was like, no, that's not what, if, if Saturday at five o'clock is quite a dead period for kids that were my age at that time, which was like 20, 23. And I was like, a lot of my mates are these YouTubers and these types of things. Why don't I get some of them on? We'll just play some games. We'll have more fun with it. Mm. And we just kind of created this, a vibe, you know, instead of just going the classic route uh, of what, of what they wanted to do. And because it was a rubbish lot, they just kind of said to me, try it out. Mm. And I, we tried it and, and and did it, you know, but it's just having that belief and just being like bang on the door and be like, look, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't take it off me. Mm. So I'm, I'm pleased that we did that. And that kind of led to me then going into uh, like an evening show slot. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. 
And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky. And it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one of a kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You went on to do a documentary, which I, I watched, mm. which was incredibly moving for a number of reasons um, yeah. personally I, I've got a you know one of my maybe my best friend and my business partner for for seven or eight years was um was depressed as we were running the business and I had no idea yeah. so I only actually found out in hindsight and he said to me when he came on this podcast actually afterwards after he had had a problem with alcohol and I'd caught him in the laundry room we lived together at like 3am in the morning drinking alcohol and I because at the time I didn't understand what mental health um, disorders were. Yeah. So I just thought, oh, he's got, he's, he's a pisshead. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But obviously that's, I've come to learn that that's a symptom yeah, of something. Of course. Um, and then it all came to a head one day where he got really drunk and started exposing himself in front of employees and so long story. But, um, then we had a chat and it was the first time we had a chat about yeah. what was going on yeah, without yeah, like yeah. anger or assumption and then he opened up to me and we cried on some Sunday in the office and he started his journey to get seeing a therapist etc your documentary was just it was just exceptional for so many reasons can you can you take me through yeah because I because I know that you you're working alongside your best friend Joe Mm. at at the radio um can you take me through I guess the first question is um did you know Uh, anything was at all no. Troubling, Joe? No. Uh, I, I've known Joe for since I started. Six years. Six years straight. Being with that person every single day. Almost like a boyfriend. Like that's, that's, that's like, like, like we work together every day. We go out, you know, all the time. Like, like after shows, all those types of stuff. Weekends, go out. If I had lined up, even I'd go over 10. 20, if I had 30 mates, I'd say 30 mates. Um, I would probably put him last as to, to who I would suspect would ever do anything like that. I mean, to put it, to put it into context, obviously the documentary you were talking about, obviously being, you know, about male suicide and, and, and male depression. It was even this world that I'm in now, I, I really do not wish I was part of this world. <laughs> like in terms of like, I wish I didn't have to be people talking to me about suicide, but this is where we are. You know, how life goes. That's that's it. Um, but with when it came to to Joe, my my producer, yeah, he you know he was the first person when I went to Wimbledon that day. He was the first person I met when I when I did my demo for the first first time. He was that person that was there with me. This is someone that taught me everything I know in terms of my professional being now. On in terms of radio, he taught me everything uh, and sat next to me, literally two foot away from me every day on every single show you know, laugh together, as I say, go out together, all those types of things. But I think Joe took his own life in August last year. 
Um, and that for me was a moment where I, I kind of, I, I had dealt with my own kind of suicidal thoughts and my own kind of depression. And Joe was very much aware of that, which is why it was so strange to me and why I felt like I had this piece of paper in front of me that said everything you know about of, or you think you know about someone that is suicidal in quotes is wrong because it doesn't have any form of symptom because that's why each suicide is different to the next. And you can't, you can't nullify it. You can't be like, Oh, if someone it's, you'll know someone's suicidal because they'll look like this, 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 you, you'll never find those answers, which is a scary thought, mm. but it's also, um, you know, like the, you, what, like what you said there, like you didn't know that mental health no, was a thing that puts you in a higher risk category than it puts me. The majority of men that take their own life have no idea that mental health disorders even are a thing. Most of them think that people are just kind of lying or or people are just attention seeking when they say they have depression. That's over 70% of men that take their own life are in that situation. They see it as a means to an end. They don't like what's going on in their life. How do I make it stop? Take your own life. It's, it's, it's so strange so mm. yeah so sorry in a long-winded way uh, i would never have thought that, that joe would have been that person at all no that really does um make you think about all your friends right 100 yeah, but but yeah. that's why but that's why like wow you know and and look when when i when it came to to making the documentary joe died in august i started making that doc in november <sighs> two months right because I, one, all I know how to do is through creative stuff. I don't, I can't, I, my writing's like, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I write something down. I'm, I'm not going to lobby government because I don't know how to do that. Do you know, all those types of things. I, I just know how to make something. And, and I knew also selfishly, I knew that if I do a doc, I'm going to be able to meet people that have tried to take their own life. I'm going to be able to meet psychiatrists. I'm going to be able to meet professors and mm. learn the science because I was so convinced in my head, I was like, I need to know all the things that I need to be looking out for, for my other friends. Yeah. Basically that documentary became my own therapy mm. and, and people watched it. And I think that's why, you know, I realized after that shit, like it is one, it's everywhere. And two, there is no, there's no way of telling. So therefore the only people that can help those people are their friends. And that's what the documentary is. It's not a documentary about suicide. It's a documentary about friendship and how we now have to take ownership of our mates. What did that journey of creating that documentary and your own experiences teach you about, and this is one of the things that's really fascinated me for a long time is like, we're seeing this apparent increase in mental health disorders. And I say apparent because sometimes it's hard to distinguish whether it's because of the increase in awareness that we have more people putting their hand up and say, listen, I'm suffering. Yeah. Or it's because of the world has changed, social media, whatever you want to call it. And people are, we're living in a less um, healthy way. But so we're seeing this, the data shows that there's a, a pretty significant increase in mental health disorders, things like treatment resistant depression. I'm actually 
a creative director, one of the big investment investors in a um, a Thai, which is one of the, the maybe the biggest mental health psychedelics business in the world. So right. I do a lot of I have spent a lot of time looking at clinical studies, and obviously psychedelics is it comes at depression more from a, a place of like what's happened to you versus what's wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about like ayahuasca so, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like it's, yeah. Like it, it's more sort of like trauma centric approach to looking. Yeah. At what have you learned about what's causing the increase in mental health disorders from your journey? Um, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I can only speak from a male perspective, um, obviously. Um, and I only ever have done because I, I, it's so easy. And the thing, the thing that the most, the thing that I saw the most was, oh, um, everyone's saying to me, well, it's social media, isn't it? It's social media. The fact is it's not like, like social media is there. Yes. And, and it, and it can, you know, create a trigger or anything like that for someone that may be feeling down. I don't think it's the sole purpose. I can also be madly inspired by social media. I can also be made to feel really, really happy by social media. I think the main problem with men is, is purely down to is, is almost toxic masculinity. It's our, it's our own kind of fault. You know, the pressures that we put on ourselves, um, to, to be, you know, the person that we want to be, to, to, to have the body that we want, to, to have the things that we want and to, to have the job, the family, you know, the, even the pressure that I put on myself to have the family that I should have. You know, I'm, I worry that if I come to like the age of 50 and I don't have that, how am I going to feel? You know, and it's all about, it's all about creating tools, you know, in our brain for kids as young as five and, and, you know, throughout primary school to learn how to deal with these issues throughout time. Like people have had depression. It's just how our brains are worked. You know what I mean? That's how, mm. how our brains are wired. There's, there's always been depression. Yeah. You know, you're, you've got a right point in terms of like the data will obviously show that there's more because there are more cases. Don't get me wrong. Like throughout the pandemic, obviously it's a, I always like, I don't go too much into the government stuff, but I think it's so like grotesque to even trap people in their homes in the way that obviously they did do and not think about the mental health side of things because they haven't, they completely ignored it. Like the, like the government completely ignored how much of a problem mental health will be during the pandemic, people being on their own, not being able to go about their lives, you know, and also the, the trauma that, that that's going to have later on in life for kids. Mm. You know, I learned a stat the other day that is horrendous, right? And this is something that, you know, when I was asked, will I go out and make another documentary? And I think for this stat, I want to, because I can't quite believe it. Any business or any school has to sign a health and safety declaration, right? And that's how it is. They, they all have to sign a piece of paper that says, if you hurt yourself here, we'll sign that. 100% of, of schools up and down the country sign that. There is also a declaration of mental health, right? Where a school has to look after a kid. If a traumatic event happens within school, they have to make sure that, you know, their, their mental health is looked after. In the UK, 2% of schools have signed that. Why? So you're saying that 98% of schools up and down the UK look at mental health and go, nothing to do with us. School is the most traumatic time yes. in anyone's <laughs> life. If, if parents knew that, if parents knew that the, that schools don't care about your kids' mental health, then that that is what is, you know, that's what's putting us in a situation now where men are killing themselves. Hmm. Because we don't know, we've never been taught how to deal with it. No one's ever looked after us. 
teaching us how to deal with it. You talk about toxic masculinity there. One of the things that's always associated with that is just men's lack of willingness to like make a phone call and yeah. to a friend and say, listen, I am not okay. And yeah. you know, you, you also have been very open about the day where you were feeling like that and yeah. your superwoman mother. Yeah. Once again, um, yeah. she, she called you coincidentally or. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah coincidentally. Well, then. it was kind of like, uh, yeah, I went to call her and then like she, like I, t- I texted her a couple of times and then she just called me. Because you were and feeling bad, so you, you text her. Yeah, I mean, uh, people will tell you this, but when you're in that zone, you know, if you're in a, a absolute spiral, everything goes into a right blur. All I know is that I was in my house and I was in my pants and I was I could not stop crying and I couldn't stop worrying about everything and my head was going like a whirlwind, like. I was worrying about stuff that wasn't even logical. Like, what was your brain telling you? I can't even like I can't even describe it. Like, it's like it, 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 the only way it feels like anything in my head that could have been a problem was a problem. Have you ever had like you know when you're you're hungover and the, or like the next day I don't know if you drink but the, yeah. next, the next day right if you have a hangover you have this like paranoia thing like throughout like stuff just makes you feel a little bit edgy whispery like yeah 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 yeah. it's like that but a million times the only way also that i talk about it is like it's like paranoia and it's like mike your brain becomes mike tyson and is just beating you up and you've not had one boxing lesson in your life so you're just kind of like you can't do anything you're just taking it right and it's like your things like you look bad, you've not done this, your tax bills, this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. Are you ever going to do this? You're never going to do this. Blah, blah, blah. Loads of like voices. And at that point, I just said to myself, you know, I can't, I don't know what to do. Uh, and then the only thing I could think about was, I was okay, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know, take my own life. I'll just kill myself. That's, that's how, honestly, how I felt. Cause I was like, that's the only way to stop this. And then, as, as you said, my mum called me. And uh, she kept me on the phone for about an hour because I was at the house. And I'd like, in my head, I was like, oh, I'll just go to the train station and just, you know, do like, you know, take, jump in front of a train. That's honestly what went through my head. And then it's like, at that point I was like, okay, fine. And then I speak to my mom and my mom got there within an hour and we just kind of, do you know what? I don't even remember her, I don't even remember her getting there. It's a very strange place to be. It's, it's, a, it's a natural you know, break, they call it a mental breakdown for a reason because I can't, your whole mind just blanks. And that's that's the, the same thing that I've spoken to a lot of people that have attempted to take their own life and they all say the same thing. Those moments that you have are, are completely like just so intense that your mind goes, it implodes and, and you don't even know. And that's why a lot of men will will tell you that when they, you know, if they take it to that step, which is a huge step to, to decide, okay, I'm going to take my own life. A lot of men go, that was my happiest moment because I felt like in that time I was in control of my life, which is a really scary thought and a really sad thought that they feel like the biggest amount of clarity that they've ever had in their life. And the moment where they felt at peace was when they felt like, okay, I'm going to do this and everything will stop. But the problem is, is that that's not the answer. And it's, it's really not. And when I speak to, you know, in the documentary, I speak to, to Joe's mum. Keep in mind, this is three months after her son has passed away. And she's had to be told that it's her son, who she's raised, has taken his own life. She, she sums it up in such an amazing way, which is kind of touching on a very dangerous topic of selfishness. 
around suicide, which a lot of people don't want to talk about, but it's the, the truth, which is suicide isn't necessarily a selfish act by that person. But the problem is, is that no matter what pain that person is feeling in that moment, no matter what pain you're going through in your head or sadness, you do not get rid of that by taking your own life. All you are doing is you are transferring it to everyone around you. Mm -hmm. And you are transferring that, that on average, 180 people get um, affected by one singular suicide. And, and that is what you are doing. And it's just a fact, you know, like for two months, I absolutely hated Joe. I hated him. After he died, I felt quite cold because I was just like, how could you do that? I felt like, how could you leave me, your mum, your dad, your sister? How could you do that? How could you let someone find you? Like, do you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's in that that you realise that no matter how much that clarity is there and you feel like you're escaping a problem, you are passing that on to someone else. And that's what's left behind you. And I know for a fact that, that I know, like I would put so much money on that if he was here right now, he'd look at me and say, sorry, mate, made a mistake. 100%. So much, so, so much I was thinking about there. So the first thing is my business partner also said to me, he wanted, he was considering jumping in front of a train. Yeah. That's what he said to me in our private conversations. The other thing is just this, this, um, it's really, it's really hard for someone who's not been through what you're describing there, what you went through and evidently what Joe went through to understand the, that place, if you've not been there, that's, yeah. this is why it's so valuable. And like I was thinking, you know, it must, as you kind of alluded to there, you didn't choose to, for everybody to ask you in every interview about this topic, yeah. but the, the immense value that it's like, it's doing on someone like me, who's been fortunate enough not to be in that place, who can now understand, from your description there, that Mike Tyson description, yeah. can now understand that, how that must feel. Yeah. But I can't, but I can almost. But the, th the, the thing is, the thing is, is what's better is because you are in a higher risk category than me. Yeah, I know, which is fucking terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> because, but, but now that I've spoken to you about it, yeah. and, that, and, and that you, you're, you're not. Yeah. Because, because that's, that's the problem is that, you know, all of the guys that I spoke to said to me, they were like, didn't think mental health was a thing. Was a thing. Mm. Didn't think what I was going through was depression. Thought I was just mm. rubbish. And just thought I, you know, I wasn't where I wanted to be in life. Just wanted that to end. That's the the realization of it, hmm. you know. And and again, it's it's that thing of, you know, it's a it's a topic that no one really wants to talk about, and is is also why I was so adamant that the worst. Okay, this is the worst thing, right? Is if you're in that state, your mate's in that state, right? The last thing he wants to do is talk to you about that. So why is the kind of push always, oh, if you're feeling depressed, you should talk. No, that's the last thing I want to do. If anything, you're going to make me revert more, right? You're going to go make me go back more. The, the pressure should be placed on us as friends to, to make that call and to make that conversation happen with anyone that you would ever suspect. Even if you don't suspect it, make sure. How sure are you? How sure are you of the people in your phone book or your close friends that they're not thinking these thoughts? Not sure enough. But that's what I mean. So all you have to do is have that conversation, but that will take you having that conversation. I always say, I, I do a lot of talks for, for businesses about mental health. And 
Um, I always leave it with, you know, go away today, choose three people in your phone book that you speak to regularly and ask them, ask them, are they okay, but do it twice, you know? And, and that's something that I learned from a group of lads who had lost their mate. They, they now look after each other by asking at the beginning of the conversation, are you okay? Have the conversation and then just go back to it and be like, so tell me, are you, are you, are you okay? Choose three people, do that two okay rule on them and tell me that you haven't found something new from at least one of those people. Mm. It's fact. Yeah. Like, like it's so messed up that us as a society, you know, especially, especially living in, living in London, like, you know, which is just a horrific, but amazing place. You know, it, it, it's this beautiful, you know, cultural place. It's my home. It's, it's everything, but it is also a treadmill and you've got to get on it. And if you're not on it, you, you're, you're not even in the picture. And that means that conversation switches to what do you do? How can I profit off that? Hmm. And the, the most important thing in a conversation should always be, are you okay? Hmm. When you say to your mates, hey, how are you? You go, yeah, I'm good. Glaze over it like that. Why is that not the most important thing that you ask someone? And it should be, it should always be. And and that's why for guys, we forget that. So you have to go, oh shit, okay, well, I'll ask it again. Mm. You know, and, and that is, you know, be, I want people to to be the the hero to to their friends that I know I wasn't to mine because I know I wasn't. And no matter how many people say to me, ah, he did what he did because of, you know, that was his prerogative and all that type of stuff. Yeah, for sure. But the fact is that if someone had had this conversation with me, I probably would have brought it out with him. And I would have, I, I know if I, if I'd got to the crux of it, if I'd been, if I had asked Joe those questions, if I had said to him, are you okay? If I'd done that twice, if I'd spoken to him, seen how he is, I don't think I'd be here. I don't think I'd be having this conversation. And I, I want other people to understand that, that it's up to us as friends. But you spoke to Joe about your yeah, struggles. But me. And, and did he ever, did he not ever reciprocate and say, well, I've also been, no, no. But that's, mm. that's, that's his, that's his thing. What was he like as a guy in terms of being? Wicked. Was he, was he a, 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 a guy that talked about deep topics? Like you've got your friends. Oh yeah. 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 Was he talked about deep Joe, topics? Joe, Joe, listen, Joe is someone that is ridiculous. Like I still find it now ridiculous even talking about him because it's like, if, if he had known that I was out here talking about people, about him, it, it's odd. It's odd to be able to be speaking about one of your friends and like, mm. I don't know, it's odd. But he, he's someone that was the most outgoing, funny, creative guy. I, he always, he teetered on genius and idiot constantly. Um, he would have the most ridiculous ideas. And out of 99 of them, you know, out of 100 of them, 99 would be ridiculous and, and one would be incredible. And, and that one incredible thing is the thing that we'd always champion and, and push forward. But He's someone that, that, yeah, like I say, like every single one of my friend group, I've never known a more smiley person. I've never known someone more happy-go-lucky, more just happy to be there. And that's why I say, if that can happen to him, best believe it can happen to, to anyone else. Did anybody ever find out what got him to that place or any, no. any, did he not leave him? Um, no, that, 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 again, this is a, another thing is, is Hollywood believe, would make us believe that people leave notes. Yeah. They don't. Over 90% don't and and never know. And and that's why it's just, that is a, it's a horrible, horrible, harsh thing. 
and it's it's so final that's the that's the problem is it's so final also another thing is you know girls can't be taken out of this conversation as well because when i i, I worked with the nottinghamshire um street triage team who are an incredible team of, of people that are police and mental health expert that go out on calls together mm-hmm. so it'd be a mental health nurse right with with a police officer and right. they will respond to um a mental health crisis right so someone trying to take their own life etc and i said to them i was like oh you know i went there like in the mode of like oh yeah so it must all be guys that you speak to and they were like no actually it's around 90 percent of our calls are women having mental struggles or trying to take their own life and then you look at the data and you're like, well, how does that make sense? But the problem is, is that us as men being men, we choose more final methods in terms of how to end that pain. And that's the unfortunate reality of it. You made that documentary. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it was, it was everywhere and everybody was talking about it. Yeah. Really, really far reaching. In fact, I know that the amount of people calling suicide and sort of mental health um, support lines shot up drastically. So yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like 700 yeah. percent or something crazy yeah. like that. Yeah. 720 odd percent. Um, but with that, you then carry this, I guess this like social, you, you become the ambassador for something, right? Hey, I do not want to be the ambassador for it, but that's how life is now. And the only reason why I'll go out there and do it is because of Joe's family. Genuinely. Like, uh, it's not easy, right? Talking about that. Like, that uh, no, it's not. Like, I'll give you examples. Like, <laughs> you know, I'll go to parties now and you like the main oh, thing that like lads, lads will come up to me and talk to me about is how, how they feel, which is nice in a way. But it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I, I won't lie that it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Like, like there are days where I, I don't want to talk about it. I have people like, again, like I'll be out for dinner or something like that. And someone will come up to me and say, oh my God, that documentary, blah, 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 blah. I wasn't thinking about my mate taking his own life, but now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But that is life. Like that, that's always how it is. And, and the only way that I can kind of get around that is by, you know, you can tell them, by the way that I talk about it, I'm, I'm still passionate about it, you know, because I've been scarred by it. I've got such trauma attached to suicide and, and mental health. And that's a trauma that I'll always have. You know, that when, when you look for things, how, you know, one of the questions I've asked, you know, other people, you know that have, have been through what I've been through I said to them when does it get better and and their reply is it doesn't you just learn to deal with it a little bit better do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like it, you just learn a different technique to stop thinking about it and you know that will be with me forever I'll tell my kids about Joe you know I'll, I'll be bang on top of my kids is mental health you know what, what's going on with him but again I just think it's throughout all of this you know as you say being a part and having these conversations now is is crazy and weird. Do you still feel a bit of anger sometimes towards Joe for doing that? Um, yeah, every now and again. Every now and again. That's normal. Yeah. You know, it, it's normal. Every now and again, I'll be like, every now and again, it's more so like me and my mates will have a story. Mm. And we'll laugh. And then at the end of it, we'll go, fuck's sake. Like, mm. why? Like, mate, come on. Like, because I know, like, I know that if he was here, what he'd say to me. You know, I can hear it clear as day. 
is they are sorry mate my name's thing and, and that that's what's so sad and it's like i know that whatever it is that he was going through it ain't worth and it never is worth no matter what anyone's going through is that this 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 is not an option it's not an option I've, I've i'm mistaken because I, I can't remember her name so please forgive me if she ever hears this or friends of her ever hear this um there was a mum that that recently um got the wording changed around um the phrase commit suicide so now that that is not a phrase that that should necessarily be said so it's always you would refer to it as take take your own life mm. because to commit suicide is actually an illegal act and therefore a lot of young a lot of parents were left with a, a child who if they had written it down that they'd done that that they would go down essentially as a criminal a, a criminal mm. because you're committing an illegal act um so that phrasing is is gone now which is quite nice mm. is is a nice thing um but uh, you know suicide is still such a a weird thing that people don't want to talk about but yet is the biggest thing think how much think how many cancer adverts think how many testicular cancer adverts you see yeah. on a daily basis now put that together with how many male suicide adverts do you see mm, yeah, you don't it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't come back. But it's the biggest killer for our age how how have you found being in the public spotlight you talked a little bit about there about like people coming up to you at dinners and parties and stuff yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. like when you're in the spotlight anyway people come up to you and just say oh i love your thing yeah, yeah, right? yeah. but now they're coming up and say how have you found all of that in and terms of the, the doc the doc but or just, just in general. generally i mean in general mate like to be totally honest like, i don't know any different yeah uh, genuinely because i like it, it for me it was uh it, it's like in the same way that i could say to you how is it in that bit how is it hitting puberty it's like you'd seen people above you go through that so you kind of knew what to expect oh okay yeah, and you kind of dealt with it do you know what i mean course, whereas yeah. like for me because i was people coming up to me now saying oh can i get a picture and if i'm with a mate i have to say to the mate oh can, oh can you hold the phone and you know take the picture i was that person oh right holding okay. the phone half my life yeah you know so it, it just it's always been always been there okay. anytime i was a kid any anytime i was a kid walking into a pub going to a football match walking into a restaurant anywhere i clocked people looking at my dad mm. or my mom did you understand that they were like famous at, yeah mate age? loved did, it yeah <laughs> loved it loved it like like put it this way my sister was always my sister was always uh, loved it. <laughs> really shy my sister was always really shy of it and my dad always tells a story where uh, he said it was a show and tell at school and um i must have been about six my dad was in eastenders he just joined eastenders and um his, his character name was steve owen in eastenders right and um and it was a big thing that he was in there and the fireman came to school like to show the fire truck and to you know show mm. how this is our equipment and all that type of stuff and they said any questions and uh, my dad and my mom said i put my hand up and said, you may think that's cool, but my dad's Steve Owen. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always, I've always been insanely proud of my parents, you know, like, and, and, great. and, you know, I, I credit them for, you know, my dad has always been very patient with everyone. And in terms of like people wanting pictures or stuff like that. And he always does it. So yeah, he always does now. it. But, but he taught me something else, which, you know, we had a little bit of a chat about this before, but I, 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 he's never let me take pictures with people ever. And I don't do that. And, and I always get, I get told off about it. 
because people are like, oh, if you're hanging out with this person, you should take a picture. Oh, so if you, yeah, so if you want to take a photo with like Justin Bieber, then he's not going to. Yeah, even footballers. It. Right. Like when I was a kid, all I wanted was, was like, you know, take a picture. If I met a footballer, I'd want to take a picture. And he was like, nah, enjoy that moment with you and that person. A picture is nothing. You, you know, it's gratification for someone else to see it. Mm. He goes, you should enjoy that moment, live it with your eyes and, 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 and speak to them. And if, if you really want to, you know, make a moment in that person's life, go up to them and say, you know, you know what? I really, really like your work. I really appreciate mm. what you've done. I really like this. That goes so much further mm. than, you know, if someone came up to me and said, I just want to let you know that, that I really like what you did. That means so much more than anyone just running up to you and going, get a picture, yeah. get a picture take a picture, run, run off. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? You must go through the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. if someone came up to me and said, mate, I really, I really love your podcast. I really love, you know, the, yeah. everything you've done, the, the business, the businesses that you've created yeah, yeah. means so much more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm always pleased about that. So yeah, so so fame in terms of, for me, has always kind of been, uh, there's pros and cons to, to our jobs mm. now. Fame is a con, is a, is, is a bad part of it. The good part is that we get to do fun stuff. Interesting. We get, you, the good mm. part is you get to speak to interesting people. Yeah, yeah. Sat here. Mm-hmm. The, the con is that when you're out for dinner, someone may have watched that conversation yeah. and want to interrupt you yeah. and talk to you about it. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> I, went to, I, was, I was, went to the like United Away game the other day and I always, yeah. I always get it in certain, certain places. So like whenever there's a younger demographic, Dragons is going to change that. I was talking to my team this week because yeah. like BBC One's a slightly more parenty audience. It will really change that. You'll see that. Yeah. So when I'm in my, when I'm at Old Trafford in the like gallery area, which is all, all predominantly a little bit older people, yeah. no one bothers me. If I, go the, if I go to an away day, yeah. honestly, last week, someone had their arm around me the whole yeah. game. I love your, showing me on his phone, look, I love your podcast. Yeah. And I'm trying, like, please can I watch the game? Yeah. He's like, come on, he's like, and he's like, oh, and you know, and you think, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. I'm wearing a fucking hoodie and like, you know, but. Yeah, but that's why you, COVID was, was a good thing in that sense. <laughs> well, yeah, it was a really good thing. No, it's actually a conversation I started having and you've, you've experienced this much more than I have, which is just, I, will there become a point where I become more of an introvert and don't want to go to places because of the amount of people that are like, it's exhausting, right? And I don't yeah. want to be, I'll never be an asshole. I know that for sure. I'll no, never say tiring. no. It's, it's tiring. tiring, right? It's tiring. It, 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 for sure. But naturally that will happen because your life changes. Like mm. you, you're going to be on a TV show that is watched by millions of people. Mm. Like, like this is, that's, you know, it's what my dad, what my dad always says, you know, and that's, you know, that's why he always says to me, you can't, you know, people that get angry at, at fans or whatever and like you know or rude to people you can't put your head above the parapet and not expect to get hit yeah do you know what i mean like how can you do that like you're choosing to to go on a show that is watched by millions of people yeah so therefore if you go out you need to be more careful you need to you know like you know understand that that people are going to want certain things and that's fine but that's just that's just the world you've you've met a lot of very um famous super mega stars mm-hmm. and you've parted with a lot of them and been very close to a lot of them. I'm yeah. reading some of the stories about Justin Bieber. When you look at some of these people yeah. that are, have been wildly successful, yeah. what what have you noticed about like their happiness and like the ones that are happy, the ones that you think, oh God, I'm concerned for this one. What is the, what's your general observation? Are these really happy people? Honestly? I think it's, it's all about, it's all about the values. It's all about what are they doing it for? you know, and, and the family life, you know, there, there's, there's people that, that, what I always find so interesting is, is I think one of the reasons why I'm able to, again, do the job that I do and speak to those people who are on such high pedestals, 
is because you got to remember that I've grown up with a with a godfather who is or was and still to this day one of the most famous singers ever mm. in George Michael. And growing up with George, I saw very quickly that the more famous you get, it does not become more fun. It doesn't. You don't know who's your friends. You don't know those types of things. And and I think that that can lead people to be into a bit of a troubled situation. You know, you get approached by, so you don't have a good core friend group, like a big core friend group that can lead to everyone around you being yes men that just want to be on the payroll, that will do something because they think that it will help in their career and those types of things. I'm uber fortunate. I've got a really nice friend group. And the artists that I know, you know, speaking from a music music background, the artists that I know that have those incredible friend groups are just amazing people. Like Ed Sheeran? Yeah, Ed, Ed is incredible. Like, but Ed's values are so correct, you know, and, and his, his parents are, are lovely people as well in terms of, you know, the pleasure of, you know, having dinner with his dad and stuff like that. And like, they, they're just people that understand that this is just fun. The creativeness is just the fun, you know, all the fame and those types of things are just a side note. You know, Ed, Ed does everything he does now, I'm sure, because he's, he's so family orientated and that's so important. You know, he's married to Cherry, who's his childhood sweetheart. You know, so I'll give, give me another example. It's like Niall Horan's one of my, my good mates. Niall's friend group is all his friend group from young school, young, and they will kill him like in like conversations or like, do you know what I mean? Like his cousins will rip him to shreds and all those types of things. And all it does is just ground him constantly. And, and it's that grounding nature that if you don't have that within this world or that world, you're going to struggle. Justin, for, for instance, was someone that was taken at like nine. He didn't have a chance to, to build a proper friend group. Didn't even have a chance. And so you worry for people like that because, you know, that's why, you know, he, he's now found faith and that's his thing. And, and that is his grounding moment in his life. And his wife, of course, she's a... Exactly. Yeah, she seems to be a good actor. That's what I mean. So it's, you know, for, for him, he has those things. For me, it is those core group, of, core group of mates. And you must meet a couple that you're a bit concerned about in terms of... Always. Because I've met a couple of, you know, famous people and I thought, fucking hell, they're not happy. No, you know, 100%. Uh, Could you feel it when you meet them with their energy? And they, all the time, yeah. instantly. Yeah, uh, instantly. There's, there's, there's a few people that, that, you know, I don't even know that well and I've ended up having to reach out to because I feel like I probably should. Mm. and it's sad it's a really sad like sometimes it can be a, a sad existence money can make you feel amazing 100 it can buy happiness but that happiness can run out like that's the thing as quickly as your bank balance can run out that happiness can run out mm. like and people struggle like people really really struggle and, and it's and this is again this is another thing what what i learned with making the doc about suicide and talking about, you know, mental health was uh, the first thing I saw when, um, when people uh, heard it, like a press release came out saying that I was doing a documentary about suicide. Twitter was like, what, what does a celebrity kid know about struggling and blah, 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 mental health and these types of things. But the thing is, is that it's all, you know, those struggles that you see artists going through or, you know, addiction problems or those types of things. It's all just, it's only relevant to, to what their life is. You know, those problems, the problem that someone in a lower class system has in their head 
will be just as high as someone in a upper class system because it's just relevant to the circumstance mm. and it's big in their head. And that's what people have to understand is that no matter what the problem is, you know, people say, oh, it's, a, it's an upper class problem or whatever. Like they like first world problem. That's what people mm. say. Right. It, it, it's not that that's not to be looked at. It's, it's just something that that's what's affecting you. And you don't wear a uniform for depression. There isn't a, a job title for depression. Yeah. You know? One of the things you said at the start of this conversation was about um, one of the expectations that you do feel a bit of, pre bit of pressure to me is the one in your sort of romantic life, right? Yeah. I've struggled with that for a long time, I've got to be honest. Yeah. Struggled with uh, girlfriends, dating, all that stuff, Tinder, all of the way that people date in the modern age and just like finding good people and really putting the effort in because I can't be bothered with the small talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. Are you a single man right now? Or? I'm single right now, yes. Yeah. I used to, to be honest, it's, it's like... Uh, my my one thing that I struggle with, and look, I've I've had girlfriends that, you know, in the past where I've 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 been an absolute arsehole and like, of course, like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, and I've let work get in the way. I've let that lifestyle kind of get in the way. But the one thing that I know is that I I, I want that relationship that I see my mum and dad have. I want that like more than anything, you know. And I just I think the thing that I panic about more is you know it, it's it's an odd thing but it's like like for me i think it's an insecurity that a lot of men have that never talk about as well which is oh, will i be able to have kids when i'm older mm. people never talk about that but like i never hear any of my mates talk about that but i'm always like oh that's my biggest fear someone says what's your biggest fear that because i think that my sole purpose on this life is is just to make other people that are nice like that's how i feel so you know for, for me it's i'm such a family person I feel like at this point in time, I worry that if I got into something, would I be able to give that person what they deserve in terms of being a partner? Mm. Because I am work focused and I do like, and I'm enjoying my life right now. I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing and I don't want to like defer from that. Have you struggled when you're in a relationship? And if so, yeah. what is the, what is the, in your sort of self-aware opinion, what is the reason why you struggle in relationships? Um, I struggled in relationships in the past and I still will struggle now going forward because I always have this massive fear that there is resentment on my future partner's part. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I never, I couldn't be with someone that doesn't really work or do those things because I'd be so scared that they'd look at me and think, oh, well, it's fine for him because he can get this or afford this or do this and this and this. Do you know what I mean? I always try my best to to make sure that I'm with someone that I can raise up as much as people on the outside raise me up. Mm. You know, because that's that's a horrible thing that I see so much. And look, I go through it even now. Like, you know, people come up to me and they go, "Oh my God, your dad is such an amazing person." Blah 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 blah. Do you ever think about you with your dad and with your with your dad and all this type of stuff? And I'm like, but my mum is wicked. Like, do you know what I mean? And mm. and that I think that worry that I always had with my mum, and I always felt like I had to stand up for my mum and be like, "Hang on, she." played at Live Aid as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm. She had a number one record as well. I always feel like I worry that in a, about that in a partner. And I, I want to always make sure that a partner knows that, that no matter how many people are coming up to me and saying, oh, you know, you're doing really well, doing really well. I'll always be there and say, yeah, but she's doing this. That's so interesting. You know what I mean? Do you know what? I, I don't because yeah. I've, not, I've not been through that. Yeah, but that's, that's you know what I mean. That that's that's the thing that I think is so important. I see so many asshole people, like, and I've seen it my whole life, right? That are celebrities that 
you they introduce themselves to you or you you speak to them and their partner just stands there and they don't even introduce them to you and you must have seen that growing up because that that feels like it's very front of mind for you whereas i yeah. guess yeah for sure people just don't want to talk to my dad but it's like you know it's a partnership you know my, sure. my dad dad's always obviously my dad and my mum now are, yeah you know, fine but like I don't want that. I don't want my partner to feel like everyone just wants to talk to Roman. Mm. I don't want that. Like I, I, I really don't. And, and I, people, and or for my partner to think what I do isn't as good as what he does or doesn't earn as much money as what he does or doesn't, you know, get as much gratification as he does. Does that mean that you go for? No, it means that, that I go, I, I, I have, I love like women that, that have their, you know, life going on or like are busy or those types of things. That attracts me more than anything. Mm. You know, you look at the girls that I've dated in the past, they're, they're, they're girls that are doing their own thing and they're yeah. fucking good at it. Like, and you know, and it's one of the reasons, to be totally honest with you, it's one of the reasons why I don't really date English girls, ever. I love someone not knowing what I do for a living. <laughs> I love someone not caring at all. If I was to ask one of your your, your two last exes, if I said, why yeah. did your relationship with Roman end? What do you reckon they'd say? Um, too focused on work, too focused on what he's doing. Um, I'd say that. That's interesting. I, I was that guy for a long time. Maybe still am. <laughs> yeah. But, there, but there's nothing wrong with being that. And that's that's what I have to learn. There's nothing wrong with being that. Because if if you are happy in your life, if, if you are, you know, getting that fulfillment, which I feel like I am, then that's okay. There's a time for everything. Yeah. I, I see it. As, for me, it was like a chapter. So there was a phase of my life where I was very, very, very selfish but I always wanted romantic connection in a relationship. I started to actually learn the importance of it, studying some stuff and seeing that men that um, had a romantic partner for their lives were lived sev like several years longer, got ill way less. And I was mm. thinking, oh, okay, maybe having a relationship isn't as, is equally important as just making millions of pounds. And then I started to feel, I don't know, you get older, you've had a lot of sex with a lot of people that you just can't remember. Yeah. And you thought, well, that wasn't it. That didn't feel yeah. great the day after. So you go, okay, this is more substantive to, to have a meaningful relationship. And then I've started to realize that, okay, this is only ever going to work if I compromise a little bit yeah, sometimes. Of course, yeah. And also find someone worth compromising for. Yeah, but, right. but a relationship is all about a compromise. Yeah. That's, that's it. They, I had know, to learn that it, it, it's, yeah. it's always about compromise. And, and it's about finding someone that is your best friend, not, not about, you mm. know, someone that you just find really fit. Are you compromising, do you think? Um, I, at the minute I'm not because I, I feel like at this moment in time and I, I'll be totally honest with you after, um, after I lost Joe, after Joe died, I, I kind of got in this mindset where I was like, do you know what? I just need to live my life. I just need to do what I want to do. Uh, and not feel like if I, I didn't personally, I didn't want to get into a relationship because I felt like some of my relationships or some of the moments that I've been with people, I feel like I wasted my time. Yeah. And I can't not feel like that. So many people, so many girls feel like that about guys that they've dated. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that this is this podcast. Mm -hmm. And and I felt like that too. And, and I felt like, you know what, why was I trying to compromise when, yeah. when I need to enjoy myself a little bit, you know, and, and find that kind of happiness. And I, and I firmly believe that that time will come. I'm, a, I'm a definitely a relationship person, 100%. Yeah. But, um, you know, I believe that time will come. But right now I just know that it's more so in my head, it's like, I know that I could get into seeing someone or whatever, but I just know that it'll reach a point where I can't give them what they deserve. Right and a girl doesn't deserve to have someone that might be too tired that day to even text them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and I'm someone that likes my own space. So it's hard. So looking forward to the future then, one of the things you said earlier was that you are the type of guy that like, 
knocks on the door of your boss's office and says, listen, I want that show. This is what I want. So tell me what it is that you want looking forward professionally in your, in your future. My, my, as to where I am right now, I'm very happy where I am right now. Like very happy. Therefore I'm not urging myself to, to knock on any doors genuinely. There are things that I feel passionate about, which I really feel like I'm going to make this and I want to make this going back to, you know, schools and, and mental health, which I think is a really important thing. And I have a platform and to be able to do it. So I will do that. I think the common question that I always get asked is, oh yeah, so what's the next step TV? And it's like, no, <laughs> it's, I, I'm 28 years old and, and I've got, in my opinion, the best job in the UK. I get to wake up every day and, and feel like I'm back at school waking people up every day. That time will come, that pressure that, I, that I'll put on myself to go and find the next thing or to think about where I want to move next will come later on. Right now I'm in a genuine position where I, I love what I do. I, I get up at silly o'clock, but second I'm there, I'm happy and, and enjoying it. And I don't feel like you know, we, we spoke about this earlier on as a, as a presenter, I, if I came out of radio tomorrow, I'd be worried. I'd be thinking, Oh shit, have I been on TV enough this month? Have I, have I tweeted enough? Have I done Instagram enough? Like I, don't, I love the fact that my job now, I don't have to think about that. Mm. I don't have to post on Instagram if I don't want to, because I've just spoken to 7 million people that week. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and been with them through a journey every single day. The pandemic was an amazing thing. Like in terms of, it, it, I remember I had two weeks, two weeks holiday in April 2020 and I was going to take it. And my dad called me, he was like, you can't. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you, you can't go on holiday. He was like, this is, this is like the most important time that you will ever have to, 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 you know, be with people and go through this with them. You can't just walk away. They're, they're relying on you to do that. This is your responsibility to do it. You actually got quite angry at me because it was just like, no, it's your responsibility to do that, to, to provide some form of normality for those people. And, um, and so I did. And, and, you know, throughout the pandemic, it was you just, we created these relationships with people that are working and you realize how much radio means and you, you create friendships with listeners and with people up and down the country that, that you meet. And that, to be able to go in every day and say, that's my job is an amazing thing. Uh, and I really, truly, genuinely love it. In the spirit of one of the things you said to me during mm. this conversation, mm. now that we've been talking for a little while, I feel mm. like I have to ask you, yeah. how, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. There are bad days. There are bad days where, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of think, you know, did, do I really want to be in talking about suicide do I really want to be going over a trauma that's in my head you know do I want to sack in the whole job and and just I've got enough money now to live a nice nice little life somewhere quiet and just go and do that but I think those are all kind of moments in my life that are you know moving forward and, and like you said like I think there's so much more life for me to learn. I, I think that I am happy. If I think about it, I am happy. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the things that I've achieved, you know, little things, little things that I've achieved. You know, whenever people ask me, what am I going to do in five years? I'd rather say to them, well, this is what I did five years ago. 
the last five years would look pretty decent. So I'm comfortable in my, you know, ability moving forward. You know, I think that I'm definitely tired, which is one thing, always tired. What do you mean by that? Always like tired in a physical fatigued like, way, okay. which getting up at 4.30 will do to you. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm okay. As I say, there's, there's up days and there's down days, but those down days, I'm, I'm pleased as well that I've got a good core friend group around me. I'm glad that I've got my parents around me. I'm glad that I've gone out there and I've taught myself the tools that I need to go and fight Mike Tyson in there and, and be able to go up against him. And that's why I feel passionate to be able to go and do that for, for kids now. We have a closing tradition. Oh yeah. Each guest that comes on the podcast writes a question for the next guest inside of the diary of a CEO. So, um, okay. How could you be more authentically you? Oof. Uh, by being off my phone, I'd say. Uh, and I mean that just because when I did I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, that was the happiest I've ever been. Easily. In, in there... I was Roe, which is what my friends know me as. That was me. Like, this here is someone who has to work, has to do all these types of things and, and that, and has all these other sides. But there I didn't have any phone, no expectation, no nothing. I completely forgot the cameras were on you, all those types of situations. So, so for sure, the more I can stop working and enjoy moments without work, that's how I can be more authentically me. Interesting. Thank you so much. No Honestly, Roman, you know, um, you know, I, the amount of, um, the amount of value that your openness to do what you're doing, mm -hmm. and I see it as you are like doing a service for society. Yeah, and especially because of the, the, the horrific nature of the statistics surrounding like mental health and suicide. Mm. I can't tell you, even for me, what this mm. conversation has done in terms of opening my eyes. Yeah. And like, I know, like, so I just, I guess what I want to do is I just wanted to thank you because oh, I also, yeah. I don't envy, and I'm going to be honest, I don't envy the position of people coming up to me all the time and talking about a topic like that. Yeah. I find it hard just even now people talking to me about, oh, here's my business idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and, for sure. And I sometimes I open my DMs and I'm, I'm having a good day working out and then I'll see a message which is very, which is of a yeah. similar vein, which is very, very tragic and it will just push me off a little bit. Yeah. So for you to, to choose knowingly to put yourself in the position of being a involuntary advocate, uh, like the ambassador of, of yeah. this, this topic is such a self. Do you find it hard service. saying suicide? You do. There, there, there's do. a little part of you that you stopped yourself do. there. No, yeah. You know it's so weird. Yeah. It's not a swear word. When I first did the yeah. documentary, when I first did the documentary, mm. sorry to cut you off. No, 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 it's fine. No, please, no. please continue after no, no, to yeah, tell me how great I am. Yeah. But, but, but when I first started making the documentary, yeah. I felt like, it is and a bit you're, weird, yeah. you know, you're, we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, mm. it's weird, but it's, it's a normal word. It's, mm. it's life. It, again, it's the biggest killer for, in men our age. Like suicide is a very normal word. It makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Yes. It makes you feel uncomfortable. And that's uncomfortable what has to stop. Mm. But I just could see in your eye there. And yeah, I, I was thinking I'd about these DMs and I was thinking- I'm an ambassador for mental suicide. Health? Yeah. And suicide sounds, you know what suicide, it sounds like it's a really emotional word. Yeah. 
So with emotional words, we tend to, you know, use them sparingly. Yeah. But I was just intrigued because <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's something that I had. Let me finish off just Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I genuinely mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like it's, it's what you're doing. As I said, I don't envy it. It's not easy. But the, the tremendous, I think, service it's doing to society at a time when we need it the most and we need people that are willing to, to have those conversations and be honest, because a lot of men are, are still caged, is it's like impossible to quantify. I don't think you'll ever get to see the good you do. But I just want you to know from my perspective and just on me personally from seeing that documentary that, oh God, it, I can't think of many greater goods that someone can do for men in this day and age. So thank you as a man, oh. but as just a, as a citizen of society as well. Thank you. Well, I very much appreciate that. And thank you uh, for, for having me on, on your podcast. Thank you so much, Ruben. Appreciate it. one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.